Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have David Dominin, founder and previous CEO of Hotjar. In this episode, David shared what he misses most about being the CEO of Hotjar and what led him to realize it was the time to step down and hand over the role. We then dove into the importance of giving your people the freedom to fail, how Hotjar reduced their churn by doubling down on their ideal customer profile in their go-to-market strategy, and the differences between acceptable and worrying churn. David then explains the Hotjar ethos and the impact it has had on the company. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With the browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael. And here's today's episode. Hey, David, welcome to the show. Really great to be here, Andrew. As always, great to talk with you as well. Yeah, it's awesome to have you on the show for the listeners. David is the founder and strategic advisor to Hot Charm and as well now strategic advisor to Content Square, uh, as well as previous CEO of Hot Charm. Hot Charm provides a suite of product experience tools to help you understand how users behave on your site, what they need, and how they feel fast. David founded Hotjar in 2014 with his four co-founders, and they bootstrapped the business to become a leader in the industry before successfully exiting the company to Content Square at the end of 2021. Uh, prior to founding Hotjar, David was a conversion rate optimization consultant at Conversion Rate Experts, where he had the opportunity to work with the world's most sophisticated brands that were leading the web revolution. It was at Conversion Rate Experts where he got the inspiration to build Hotjar. So my first question for you, David, is, do you miss it? And thinking back to a conversation we had together at a meetup in the early days when I think one of us asked, uh, would you ever sell Hotjar? Uh, your response was you weren't too sure. Uh, you, you, and your exact words, I think at the time was like, seeing as it's so difficult to be able to build a product and get to the stage that we're at today, I don't know if I want to go through this again. So do you miss it? And how does it feel? Now, look, the reality is there isn't much to miss because I'm still deeply involved, right? In a completely different capacity. Yeah. And I think I realized my role and my involvement had to change way before um, acquisition talks started, even though we had been talking with Content Square for some time. So I think there was a natural progression for me as a founder of a bootstrap business. So I wouldn't say there is, like maybe the dynamic you miss a little bit, Yeah. Uh, but I'm still involved with both businesses. It's fun, completely new challenges on a much bigger scale. So yeah, I wouldn't say there's anything particular to miss. I think if anything, 
what I miss is the project, you know, working on the project, the early days, I think, but that's irrelevant to the acquisition sure, more okay. than anything. Okay. But I think I get a little bit of that through, I'm doing some advising to, to founders, to CEOs, doing some angel investments. So I think that's, that's also nice. So that's refreshing to be involved a little bit at the earlier stage and vicariously, let's call it that way. Very cool. Will you uh, start again? Uh, obviously, like mentioning, it was difficult to get inside your hotjar. Is there plans or any thoughts? Like, are you thinking about doing something? Yeah, look, I would say never say never, but I think at this point, it's very clear to me. Like, I've I've always been very value driven, which I think is part of the success I've had. Right, so I'm I'm lucky enough to like automatically think about it. how can I provide value and use that for a platform. And I guess I learned that through making also a lot of mistakes. With Hotjar, I was using the software and I wasn't happy with it. So I yeah. built something for myself um, and that made it easy. So I, I can't see myself right now forcing another round because I don't see that obvious thing. And then when I speak to other founders or also executives at Hotjar Content Square, the value is so obvious of what I'm like help or at least I, I hope so maybe they're just being nice um no, but the value is clear and i love doing that so currently that satisfies that satisfies my need to kind of give value i don't know what would yeah. be the best way to describe it so currently nothing on the horizon but yeah you know me right like so it's difficult yeah. to say never to anything so I think it's hard as well, like, especially once you have the bug and uh, like in Greek, they call it a skuluchi, which is basically the same thing in English, a bug. But once you have it, it's like difficult to get rid of. And there's always things that like uh, you see improvements or problems that things could be done better. And uh, it's like curbing the enthusiasm at times, trying not to, to get too involved. Uh, you mentioned as well, though, that obviously you had sort of made these transitions uh, previously uh, to even the sale itself. And one of those transitions actually was uh, handing over the role of CEO um, to now uh, Mohanad, uh, who's currently CEO of Hotjar. This is not an easy decision, I think, to make for any like founder and CEO. And I think uh, a lot of times it's probably is the best decision for the business. And as you mentioned, in your case, you're realizing that earlier. How did you sort of realize that this was something that needed to be done? Uh, what was it for you that said, okay, like it's time for us to start uh, figuring out what the transition looks like and who this next person is going to be? Yeah, I would say it was multiple factors and it's not an overnight thing, right? It's something that grows on you. Look, I'd say the main factors is that slowly all the co-founders were starting to take a step back from leadership. I think we all realized that we, we were all operators, right? We all loved being in the trenches, doing the work. And as the company grew, we started to realize there was a need for more professional leaders, let's call it, right? Let's call it that. So that's one factor. I think it's also self-awareness on our end that, you know, we could do much better. I'd say the second part was the fact that Hodra was bootstrapped, right? So um, today, well, when we did the deal, Hodra was over $40 million in ARR which is quite a feat to start from nothing and with no no investors, no board. And this was the stage where I started to say, you know what, the business is big enough <laughs> like that we actually maybe a little bit too late, need a board. And the final piece, which then plays with that second one, was quite frankly, at closing in on 200 people, I just wasn't, it wasn't fun for me anymore being the CEO. And there's a reason why because I finally realized what the job of the CEO was. 
I I think I became much clearer. It's not uh, getting involved in decisions with the team or throwing grenades at them and changing direction. Your job is to make sure you're hiring the best people to build out the vision you have and then making sure you acquire the resources needed to get those people in the right place and to be able to do their job. It became very clear to me. I think I could have done it, but quite frankly, it wasn't like that wasn't exciting mm. to me. And I'm just type the person where I'm not excited anymore then. So that, right? So that lack of maybe excitement, I don't think I'm also like the type of person who likes to be the best at something. So I did CEO. Yep. And then it was kind of this combination of, I was a little bit inspired by the book by the Patagonia founder, Let My People Go Surfing, which was a gift from right. the Hotjar team, ironically. Yep. Um, so it's this point where actually I said, you know what, I want to focus, I want to double down focus being more of an entrepreneur and maybe I had the word chairman, but kind of more running the business, not on an executive level. And then I'm very lucky to have found Mo Mahanat, who is our CEO, with whom I think he and I still today, we have a very good combo of he's really good on the executive side. I'm a little bit more strategic. So we had that good combo. Good dynamic. So yeah, yeah, I think it was all those things kind of combined together. So basically you just like throwing grenades. <laughs> now, but here's the problem, no. right? So when you're a CEO who has a background in design, which is where it all started for me, right? And then I yeah. went into product and then into marketing, like that's really dangerous, right? Like, cause I could, it sounds horrible, but like I would see work being done by people and the immediate response, because obviously I know the full history of the business. I know where we want to go so just to jump in and say, no, let's do it like this, right? Yeah. And that's precisely the grenade piece, which is your undoing the process of setting up teams to own it, right? So you can't interfere. So yeah, uh, it was a grenade one. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, th I think this is something that you did start to do. Because I remember we even had discussions previously where I would go to and say, like, we're clearly making mistakes in some area. Why are we doing this? Uh, and then you would like, we had a discussion together at one point. It was like, at some point, you just need to let people make these mistakes because we're going to learn the lessons. We're going to build and we're going to be stronger for it. Uh, we can't keep like stepping in. And uh, so that like lesson sort of hit home a lot to me as well. So something I still yeah. think about quite a bit now as well. Like you got to realize like what things are okay to let people make mistakes with and learn and what's like uh, where you need to step in and like having that macro and uh, uh, what you call it view as well. So, yeah. And I think this is where the impact of hiring executives from the outside, we're very lucky to still find executives that had strong values fit with us. But the fact that they came like with this professional experience really taught us these, us, right? Just not just me, taught yep. us a lot around this, which were difficult lessons to kind of swallow. Let's put it that way. But like, there's also a little bit of leap of faith. The way Mo, for example, describes it is freedom to fail. And when you think about it, like if you hire people to do a job and you don't give them that freedom, then you're kind of, you're, you're, you're on like a low gear and you're just stuck there, right? Just Everyone's like, too scared to make there. decisions, to test yeah. things out, to try and yeah, set up for fail. No, I definitely saw like a big step change uh, when Mo and the execs started joining the team, sort of seeing the structure they're coming in. And uh, you can see it now as well, obviously, in the business and the way things have accelerated since I've left. Like I every so often I speak to uh, people from Hotshow and just hear like it updates every now and again. It's like mind blowing just to see how fast and how progressed the team has got in such a short space of time. So yeah. uh, a great job uh, all around. And I think what you said, like the 
the role of the CEO is really just finding these great people and then giving them the resources to do it. Uh, yeah. So, I'd say probably because you asked about missing, I'd say the saddest thing for me has been this slow but gradual retreat. Because the problem is like if if you are too present, right, and you're <laughs> the founder, XEO, and you know there's that. Obviously, there's a, the past that you want to honor, but it can also get in the way of things, right? So I'd say the saddest thing for me has been this gradual kind of slow retreat, which is a little bit sad because I want to be involved with the team and everything. So that's probably the thing that I miss the most, being on the front line. But after like, what has it been, two years, we're finally doing our next meetup again in June. So the whole team is meeting up together. So I'm Very really cool. looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah, and for the listeners, uh, if you're not aware, like Hotcha is a fully remote business. We used to, and I say we, because I was obviously working with David at Hotcha, we used to have um, meetups twice a year, like really cool places. I think my first day actually working at Hotcha was in Spain, in Marbella, at a villa where... Uh, we slept the, in the same room together, man. Yeah, actually, exactly, first <laughs> night. And our, That was fantastic. It was good. I was like, shared the room with David, first day on the job. And actually, there was a, a coworker at the time, and and uh, quite a big, tall guy. Uh, and I actually had taken his room. He arrived late or whatever. And I remember him like turning to me, Christian, and he was like, "And is this the pipsqueak that took my room?" I was like, "Geez, my first day." Obviously, he was joking. I think at the time it was like, okay, "I've just arrived. I'm in my bear. But yeah, really fantastic meetups. And I think that's like the remote culture at Hotjar for me is like next to none. I speak to a lot of different teams, a lot of founders and people thinking in. I think that's one thing that I think as a leader, you did an exceptional job of sort of infiltrating and facilitating and um, any plans. I think you mentioned previously, potentially maybe writing a book on this stuff. Has any of that progressed or, yeah? Yes. Yes, it has actually. And you're way too kind. So thanks a lot. And I'd say the best way to describe it is I'm writing about it now, so it's a little bit fresh, right? Um, I'm trying to do away with the word remote, which is more an output. So I'm speaking more about the concept of how do you build a distributed business of which geographical location is just one factor. And yeah, and I think when you're building a distributed business early on, the founder plays the role of the host. And I think maybe that's what I was kind of good at early on is being that host because in this invisible world of this business that you're creating, you need that gel, right? So you need um, something to bring it all together. So the days of organizing parties at clubs really helped uh, bringing things together. Uh, Yes, perhaps, perhaps. perhaps. (laughs) Um, Cool. So I wanted to as well chat a little bit today about the transition around churn and retention at the time, obviously we mentioned at the start of the show and um, how this maybe perhaps changed for you over time. So Hotjar had an incredibly, I'd say, successful uh, launch for a beta product and into the market. It was loved very, very early on. Uh, you saw some rapid growth uh, in the early days. How did your perception change over time? Like maybe give us a couple of minutes of how it started your thoughts on it and if there were any thoughts to start with and then how that evolved over time. Uh, when you say thoughts on it, thoughts about how we had launched or one particular aspect? How it? you viewed churn and retention when... Oh, uh, churn and retention. Got it, yeah. got it, got it. Yeah, look, so there's a funny story that I don't think I've ever told anyone. But um, early on, we were speaking to some investors. And I remember uh, this was before we had hit the market and started scaling really fast. And we had a couple of term term sheets, actually. Uh, 
And but through that process, like we were reporting, like we had the deck and all these numbers and everything, but halfway through the process, we realized that our churn numbers were, were wrong. So actually, the software we're using to track it, I think we did something wrong, which is if you switch to free or something versus downgrading. I, I forgot what it was, but basically, we're reporting only half of our churn. Yeah. And obviously, besides this being like a horrible moment, uh, but obviously we were super transparent with the investors who loved it and like the way we approached it and presented them with all the new data and everything. Besides that being a little bit humiliating and like quite the roller coaster, it didn't have an impact actually on us raising at that, uh, potentially raising, because we didn't. Um, it was shocking to us to actually realize, right? So that was kind of this first real experience of, holy shit, like this is kind of scary. And I think it was also the beginning of us, of this journey of us kind of obsessing about what felt like the big dent in our armor. Yeah. And we read everything we could and spoke to people. It's just, we were really obsessed about the subject. And, and we should be, right? Because like the more you think about churn, it can be, it can have a huge, huge impact on the, on the success of, a, of a, any subscription business. But I'd say there's a few lessons that we learned. And yes, definitely to your question, we came to see it a little bit differently over the years in the sense that ultimately churn and the size of, and the amount of churn you have matters as much as the size of your market and the speed at which you're bringing on new customers, right? So if we think about B2C, right? Or even um, companies that sell to, let's say, prosumers, right? I'm thinking of the whole Shopify's and, and whatnot. These are all businesses that have quite bad churn, right? And if you applied that to a B2B environment, that would be lethal. Um, so with Hotjar, I guess it was a little bit difficult for us because we we were clearly consumerizing an industry which had not been yet, right? So literally, you'd buy you'd buy Hotjar and like just you're buying uh, a Netflix subscription, right? Um, but there was also a heavy prosumer piece to it, and also tiny agencies, right? So there was a lot of that going on. Um, so I think what we came to realize is that ultimately. In the go-to-market strategy that we have, I'm going to start using big words, but basically what does it mean when we talk about going after a big market with low friction, that low friction approach and just targeting such a big group and acquiring them is actually, if not more important, as equally important as churn, which means as part of that journey, you might need to live with a certain part of churn. So we came to realize that there's, uh, I wouldn't say good churn, there's acceptable churn, right? And then there's worrying churn. I'd say like before everything was worrying. <laughs> so okay. we just look at the numbers. Yeah. So it took us time to realize this and it was kind of very worrying for a lot of time in terms of what are we doing wrong? And, and basically what we came to realize is we talked about go-to-market strategy, right? And it makes sense when you think about it. If you want to really lower friction and target a huge group of people, it's, and I hate this way of describing it, right? But it's like they use this analogies of fishing, right? When you have sales team enterprise, you're, you're throwing spears away. It's like horrible analogy, but it works. 
And on the other end of the spectrum, you've got the consumer approach, right? Where you're basically throwing these nets and just trolling, right? And I think that's the whole point, which is to a certain extent, it's very difficult for this product, super product-led consumerized model to work if there isn't any churn, it has to be there. I think the worrying churn, which we came to understand, truly understand, is where you have especially a slightly going up market um, model or where you've identified an ideal customer, like a target group, and they're coming on board and they stop using it or they stop paying it for, for it, right? That's where it starts to become one. Yeah. Does this, does this make sense? Yeah, of course. And uh, obviously I think we discussed this in length as well. <laughs> yeah. I think the way the analogy that I like to, to think about it as well in this case, specifically for Hocha is like when you're building a fire, you need sort of like the fire starters, like the little twigs uh, to get the fuel burning. But then you really have the logs, which is like your ICP that really build that deep fire that build and you have that engine and you're going to burn through a lot of uh, like twigs to build like a really, really strong fire. Um, and some of it is acceptable. And it's actually, I think obviously, you, you know, as well, Emmerich from um, Aurora Pulse, like we had him on the show and we had this discussion where they did a really interesting thing where they measured, they broke their churn down into different categories of sort of what was within their control and what was it with outside of their control. So as you mentioned, like for small businesses, being an example, like going out of business is not something that Hotshot is really going to fix for the small business, uh, but it's going to happen a lot just to, to the nature of the product and the service. And so at the exit survey, they obviously had like a few different reasons for churn and they ultimately then said, okay, whatever our churn rate is X percent, which is for random sake. Now I'm saying 10%, but it wasn't that. Um, 2% is businesses going under. We can't do anything about that 2%, whatever, like 3% was uh, X, Y, Z reason outside of our control. Uh, the other 7%, this is what we're going after. And this is where we're focusing. And then again, further segmenting, like you say, like by the audience, by your ICP, uh, your ideal customer profile and digging in. And I think even at Hotshot, that's where we saw like the biggest shift and focus is when we like made that switch to really focus on the ICP. And uh, like, this is who we were serving. This is who we're building for. Um, and then the features and everything really sort of aligned around that uh, as well. Yeah, the only thing I would add on the back of that, because I like the way you explain that, is it's a little bit different in the sense that we've come also to realize now that to keep that fire alive, you need to keep, you need to have the twigs constantly being put in there. And like, it's kind of, I think the most important thing to obsess about where you have a go-to-market strategy, which is low friction, and you're going for the volume, is more how do people feel about the product as they exit potentially that, let's say, paid experience, right? Yeah. Which is to be different. And again, like churn from usage is also that you need to analyze that as well, right? Mm -hmm. Is it because they're unhappy with the product? Is it because you talked a lot about this when you were a Todger, right? Is it the natural cycle, the natural way of how it's using it? So I think it's much more important to spend time there. And by the way, I'm not saying that Audra nailed this by any, by any way, right? It's just thinking about this in a different way because ultimately I think what has a much bigger impact on this kind of flywheel you're creating in our case, Audra, that if people are exiting this experience or pausing or whatever we're going to call it with a bitter feeling, that actually has a much bigger impact than the fact that they stop paying you. Because word of mouth for us is actually much bigger fuel 
than the revenue that we're collecting or churning or dropping or whatever. So, yeah. so yeah, it, I think it all comes back to strategy ultimately. For sure. And I think in that flywheel uh, example, that's like, I can't remember who mentioned this. It was a statistic like in most SaaS businesses, around 40% of successful SaaS acquisition comes from word of mouth. Uh, so slowly over time, like that becomes your main acquisition channel is the word of mouth. And specifically as well, like in, in Hotshow, I think you do have the same effect where somebody might uh, use Hotshow at a company, they churn, but they loved it. They go into the next company, they become the champion, they bring it in, or they might've had their own small business. Like uh, in my case, I came to Hotshow, I said, maybe not a great example, but I was using Hotshow before I came to Hotshow uh, and it, it wasn't successful. And then like, if I wasn't coming to Hotshow, I would have introduced Hotshow at that company I was going to. So you have this really powerful flywheel that even though there's a uh, churn on the one side of it. There's still an opportunity for acquisition on the other end because of the reasons. And uh, as you say, like uh, it really sort of fuels uh, growth on the other side of it on the back end. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of people take this for granted or don't invest in it because it's also very difficult to measure. How do you yeah. attribute this, right? Also, there's situations where someone loves Hotjar, mom and pop shop, right? But then their cousin is the VP of marketing. <laughs> at a at a blue chip company right and then just over the weekend tell them holy shit check this out we know yeah. of these situations right how do you measure that right so again it all comes down to if your go-to-market strategy is this big flywheel and whatnot you just need to look at things in a, from a different lens for sure uh one thing actually just reminded me now we actually chatted about hot jars uh, email onboarding a couple of episodes ago i'm not too sure when this one will be released but um and we we discussed one of the emails that i really loved that i got from hotshot personally and i wanted to understand sort of the inspiration i don't know if we ever discussed it in detail but was you there was an email going out when a subscription had the payments had not uh, been processed and why i clearly remember hotshot's email at the time was was completely different to everybody else on the market was we had our own startup, we had limited funds in the bank, so we wouldn't be able to like sort of process the payments on the subscriptions. And you would get different emails coming through, like warning, your credit card has been expired, like your subscription is going to be canceled, like some of them like bright red banners. And the message from Hotjar itself was just a plain text email, like saying, hey, it's David, we know things can get busy, Time, like uh, I can't remember the exact wording of it itself, but it was like, if there's anything we can do to help you, just let us know. Whatever. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, like that was such like a human uh, approach, like such an amazing email to get, like at a time when things were really shit and like a lot of stress was going on. And I think that's sort of like another example of how you can really win uh, customers. And you mentioned like keeping that uh, that feeling sweet at the end of it. It was like, although I did churn, like I left with like a really good experience at the end of it. Like I would become a champion for life after that. So, and it's a simple gesture, but really focusing on the way people feel about the experience as opposed to just like the um, Agreed. Uh, the overall usage. And but here's where it gets interesting. I didn't write that email. Yeah. And why is that interesting? It's interesting because when we started Hotjar, I was very, we, strategically, we knew that treating people with love, I know now it's going to get a little bit lovey-dovey, but it's yeah. important, right? It was a central part to our strategy. I love putting love and strategy in the same sentence. Yeah. What do we mean by that? I even I even wrote a piece which we put public, which was called the Hotjar Ethos, in which we laid out that one thing that is so important to us is just treating people like 
as humans and treating them nicely, which is why we invest in support. And we had an ethos for support, like with basic rules of just how to be nice, right? Following yeah. up, don't overpromise, right? Like these basic things. But the intentionality of writing these kind of things, right, really armed the team to then someone deciding to write an email like that. And in my opinion, like that's a real win. Not yeah. the fact that the, you received that email, it's that someone felt that that would be, I knew about this email, right? But I didn't yeah. write it and someone felt that that would be a representation. I, I feel cheated now. I feel cheated now. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, I signed off on it, okay? <laughs> No, definitely. I think, yeah, if you can get that sort of level of understanding within your team of like the ethos and what we're trying to achieve and who we are, like, and I think that's also another like testament to the values that were instilled at Hotjar and uh, the team. And like, uh, for me, my experience and my time at Hotjar was like definitely by far the most amazing professional experience I've ever had. And being in surrounded by really, really great, talented people was, uh, it was a great experience for me. So Agreed. Mm. We're very lucky to have had some amazing people, including you, Andrew. You've had a big impact as well. Thank you. Um, so the next thing I wanted to ask, because I see we're actually running up on time, is let's imagine a hypothetical scenario because I ask this uh, question to every guest. You arrive at a new company. Channel retention is not doing great at this company. And the CEO comes to you and says, hey, David, we really need to turn things around and we want to do it fast. Um, we have 90 days and we want to reduce churn uh, at the company. You're in charge. What do you do? But you're not going to tell me I'm going to go and speak to customers or look at the data and figure out the biggest pain point and start there. You're just going to choose one thing that you've seen be effective as a playbook and run with that blindly, hoping it works at this new company. What would you choose? So wait a second. Wait a second. Just so it's clear. So the CEO is telling me we have 90 days to fix churn. Yeah. Okay. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best answer I've had. So that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I'm not joking. I think I would quit. That's a horrible CEO. No, I'm joking. Yeah. No, I, joking aside, like that is not a good sign, right? Because I don't think that's possible. If there's like critical, like this is just important for the survival of the business. What's the price point? What are we selling at? Okay, got more complicated now. Um, let's say it's a thousand uh, euros a month in our business. Huh? Okay, so then very high LTV, right? Assuming for 12, 13, 14 months, if on a, on a negative side, we're talking yeah. quite high LTV. Um, yeah, I think if the business depends on it, I think what I would do it's three months like it's not like you're going to change the product around like they, like you're not going to do anything like properly saying right yeah. i think what i would do is i would just reach out to the customers i think who are probably at risk and i would just appeal to them from a human point of view and say listen i'd be honest tell them the whole story we've invested our life into this this, this is really important to us to use what we want to do we know we've fucked up we want to change just yeah. give us a year Right, just give us a year to address shit, and we're gonna speak to each one of you and figure out why, like you're potentially unhappy with the product. And I, I take the human approach because in three months, I don't really, I don't really think you can solve these kind of problems. Yeah, for sure. It is sort of a trick question that, that we ask uh, on the show because I agree with you. Like, there's not much you can do that's really impactful uh, for churn. I think the only things that come back like that are sometimes interesting is tactics like churn deflection or 
credit card declines, like solving the dunning process and these sorts of things where you can implement and maybe have a small dent, but ultimately uh, you're not really having a, a long-term uh, on the metric. I think, yeah, I think, yeah, exactly. I think those are all wins, but those those are not things that turn the meaningful around in three months, kind of, right? So I think that's where maybe I got tripped up. Yeah. So, so those are very good things. No, it's a good point. The, the quitting is the best ones I've had so far because I think that's uh, probably what I would also want to do if I were the company. And then you quit. You quit. I would have asked that Counter. question. Hopefully, that'd be cool. Uh, I would have said, okay, general attention. Uh, uh, nice. Um, last question then on this is what's uh, one thing that you know today about churn and retention that you wish you knew when you got started with your business career? Oh, that's a good one. I'd say what I would say to myself back then is that there is also an aspect of churn that goes with the industry and type of product that you're selling, which is inherent and kind of molded into it. So it's maybe something worth thinking about when you choose which industry Mission. to start your business. <laughs> it, is, it is a good uh, benchmark to look at. It's something I did consider as well when starting out uh, the new company, uh, just thinking about smart what churn thing looks like because yeah it can be very very difficult if you pick the wrong uh segment and wrong industry for sure very cool but then again i wouldn't choose an industry because the churn is better so i think it's more from a sanity point of view i'm saying it's right, yeah, yeah. rather than no so i think that would be if you see an opportunity you so only choose exactly exactly yeah. you know purchase then you'll figure it out yeah for sure Cool. Well, David, it's been a pleasure chatting to you today. Um, hope the listeners have enjoyed the show. Is there any final thoughts you want to leave us with, like any words of wisdom or ways we can keep up to speed with your work now? Um, words of wisdom, obviously, the topic is churn, right? So I, I'd say maybe it's a little bit cliche, but I think it's worth saying it because it's something I just really believe in. Let's not forget we're talking about humans, right? Not numbers. I'm not saying that you are saying that. It's just, I think it's just an important thing to think about. And ultimately, I think it's really, really important to make it about the conversation to understand what is ultimately driving people to make decisions. And I think that's where we should always be starting from, right? Like, what is it? Why are we not delivering value? Or what is, what is, what is ultimately leading to, to the relationship to break down? I think it's just, it's so easy to kind of miss the mark on this, but this underpins everything else. Um, and in terms of uh, where people can find me, like I'm, I'm hanging out more with, it's interesting, like I'm doing both strategic work on the higher end scaling, but uh, I think to keep my sanity and stay fun, I'm hanging out with a lot of startups and founders. So anyone who has questions, I'm more than happy to, Pay it. I was going to say pay it forward to pass on the the help that I received from others and pass it forward. So you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on LinkedIn. More than happy to share any possible wisdom that I've accumulated, if any, if any, over the years. Yeah, I definitely, definitely take David up on that. Uh, uh, honestly, from my perspective, like one of the most amazing CEOs uh, I've ever seen and like worked with. Uh, kind. And uh, like even like we mentioned earlier, just having that like. Um, What's the right word? The word's leaving me, but just having that right understanding of like being the right fit for the right stage and being able to hand and the maturity and understanding. I think like as a leader, like I would definitely not want to miss out on the opportunity to uh, to have a chat with David and see uh, how you can help you with your business. Or, but 
Thank you so much for joining today, David. Really, really appreciate the time. It was great uh, chatting to you and wish you best of luck now on this new journey as you figure out what's next and uh, look forward to hearing what the new startup's about. Thank you. Absolute pleasure as usual. Well, David. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.